This is the Wealth Standard Radio, your gold standard in everything financial. Welcome, welcome. Uh, welcome to the Wealth Standard Radio. My name is Spencer Couch, and I will be playing host today for you. And today I am joined by none other than Will Street. Hey, Spencer. How are you doing? Good, good. Um, well, Will, uh, we've been on, uh, we've recorded a, a, a podcast before earlier. I don't know if it has been, uh, has aired or not, but uh, let's introduce ourselves a little bit. Uh, we haven't been on it all that much compared to some of the others. Um, uh, so why don't you go ahead and give yourself a little bit of an introduction. Sure. Yeah, it's uh, good to be here. I, uh, You and I have done this, uh, let's see, it was a few weeks ago, I think that we recorded it. Um, we had, uh, we kind of went into our backgrounds a lot in that episode, um, but you and I are both uh, attorneys by trade. I, I practiced law before coming to Paradigm. Uh, I, of course, worked for the big evil banks and, and no, actually I worked mostly for credit unions. Credit unions are more tolerable than banks. I think mm, we'll see a little bit, a little bit more. Um, I did mostly consumer finance litigation and that's a kind of a fancy phrase for when the credit union wanted to sue someone or had some legal issue. Uh, I represented typically the credit union against, uh, a credit union member, for instance. So I did, uh, you know, just basic uh, non-bankruptcy type litigation, but then I also did uh, quite a quite a bit of litigation within bankruptcy as well. Um, I did some general kind of estate planning and other corporate uh, type law, uh, just kind of bits and pieces here and there. But most of my practice was uh, representing credit unions. Um, I did that for about six years before coming to Paradigm. And uh, so I've been here about a year and a half yeah. and it's been, it's been good. And I, uh, like, like you mentioned, I was a, an attorney as well. We were basically exact opposites. Um, instead of working for the big firm, I worked uh, for myself. I had my own uh, little practice. Um, and uh, I represented the little people against the big evil credit unions. Um, I did a lot of uh, bankruptcy work, uh, you know, filing bankruptcies, chapter sevens and chapter 13s. And we won't, we won't spend too much time on the legal stuff here today. Uh, if the other podcast that we recorded has not been uh, aired, that would be why, because we were talking about a bunch of legal stuff and maybe uh, it wasn't all that interesting. That stuff's uh, riveting. Everybody knows that. I think it is, but you know, maybe, maybe it doesn't work for everyone. So, uh, well, today I want to talk a bit about um, kind of one of the major concepts that we, we work with our clients uh, here at Paradigm, um, and that is uh, retirement income, uh, how, you know, how you can go into, uh, into retirement and have adequate income that will last for the rest of your life. Um, so uh, let, let's kind of talk a little bit about that. Now, um, one thing that we we do um, bring up with a lot of clients, and we've uh, we've received a lot of the the same answers from clients. Uh, three major fears going into retirement. What what would you say are three of the biggest fears? I'd say definitely number one would be the fear of running out of money, not building an asset base sufficient to sustain uh, the individual during retirement. Um, I would say, you know, healthcare costs is probably up there. Uh, number two, 
there's a lot of uncertainty relative to healthcare and the cost of healthcare. That's a big anxiety for a lot of people. And then third would be independence, uh, the ability to continue to, to maintain independence even during those retirement years. Okay. Yeah. I mean, re- really, uh, the number one fear though, there, uh, has a lot to do with the others. You know, if, if you have enough money and you don't run out, um, it's easier to pay for the added healthcare costs. It's also easier to stay independent. Um, but, uh, but those are the three main costs, uh, the three main uh, fears for, for, uh, retirees. Um, and you know, a lot of times we use a, a metaphor when we're talking about this with clients, uh, of the mountain. Uh, tell me about the mountain. Good example. So, um, you know, most of us have gone on a hike, uh, and you know, you, you, there is kind of the proverbial, you know, you, you pack your bag, you pack a, uh, maybe a backpack or something, depending on, you know, the distance of your hike. Uh, and the idea is that to climb up the mountain, to reach the summit is really just half the battle, right? it really doesn't do you a lot of good to make it to the top of the mountain if you don't have the ability to make it down the other side. So depending again on the nature of the hike, the distance of the hike, et cetera, you may need to pack some equipment. You may need to pack some supplies, water, uh, maybe some snacks, you know, again, depending on the the length and, and distance. Um, and, and so you're, you're giving the descent, uh, just as much forethought as you give the ascent, right? Where you're preparing for your ability to make the whole journey rather than just make it to the top. And so the, the connection would be, um, the ascent where we're, we're starting our way up the mountain and trying to reach the summit would be like, you know, our working years where Mm -hmm. we're, we're productive, we're gainfully employed. Um, you know, we're earning a paycheck and we're, we're saving and we're making preparations for retirement. Retirement would be kind of the point at which we hit the summit of that mountain. Maybe we stop working, the paycheck ends, uh, or at least it's maybe it's reduced in, in a significant way. And then we start to make our way back down the other side of the mountain. That's our retirement. That's that span of time where we've now, we're not working anymore and we've had to prepare for that moment in time uh, even before we begin the journey. Yeah. Now th- this, um, this, re- uh, example, this metaphor really hit home for me over this past weekend. And, and so far this, uh, this week as well. Um, my wife and I recently celebrated our 12th wedding anniversary. Uh, and in celebration of that, we decided we wanted to hike a local mountain here. We live in Salt Lake city. We live, uh, maybe maybe a five minute drive from the trailhead for uh, for mount olympus and we decided we were going to do this seven mile hike uh, so it's seven miles round trip three and a half uh, up and three and a half down uh, and we you know we had done some preparation for it not a not too terribly much uh, but um we my wife started reading about it the night before uh, and it really freaked her out because people were saying it was really steep and really hard. And, uh, but we, you know, we decided we wanted to, we wanted to still do it. Did some stretching exercises, did, did and- some stretching and, <laughs> you know, and, you know, I got my, my hiking boots out and, you know, we, we got the camelbacks all loaded up, got them, uh, you know, froze one of them, had the other one refrigerated all night, brought some extra water, you know, brought some, some snacks and everything. Thought we were really, really well prepared uh, to actually go ahead and take the take the hike, and we got working our way up there, and it was, it was tough. It was a lot tougher than I anticipated. Uh, now maybe that's the the 
20 to 30 extra pounds that I'm carrying, uh, <laughs> around my midsection, but, um, it was, it was really tough. Um, we get up to what's called the saddle and, uh, it's, it's about a half an hour from the, from the summit. Uh, we're, uh, we're looking over the, the top of the mountain down into the valley behind it. Um, and it's, you know, I was, I was kind of content. I was ready to, ready to call it, call it quits and start working our way back down. But we wanted to, we wanted to hit the summit. So we, we did the final little ascent, got to the top and I was really happy that we did it. I was, you know, we made it all the way up. We were, we still felt like we had, I mean, we were tired, but we had decent energy. We got to take a a break. We sat up there for about half an hour or so. And then we started the worst part. Uh, (laughs) uh, We had to get back home again. And we had a babysitter that we were paying to watch our kids. We needed to get back home. Uh, It took us about five hours to get up. Um, uh, We made it down in a lot quicker time, but it was painful. Uh, It's, it's pretty steep. We ran out about uh, ran out of water about an hour from the bottom. Uh, it was late afternoon and it was hot. Um, and I I was I got thinking about this of you know running out of money, running out of of your assets. Um, you know, having if if we had had water enough to get us all the way to the bottom and have more than enough, the downward descent would have been so much more pleasant. Uh, but because we because we knew we were running low, we were rationing it, and we still ran out an hour before we got to the bottom. Uh, and it, it was just a it was just something that kind of hit home for me. It was it was a a personal uh, a personal experience with this metaphor and it made me really uh, really think about the um you know retirement and and what that would be like the interesting thing about you know what you mentioned and i would say because that's a that's a great story that illustrates that concept the the idea that and if you only had the resources how much easier would it have been to make it you know the entire the entire journey and I think the big difference between that and what people experience during retirement is you knew how much distance you had left to cover. Exactly. Right. You knew that you were an hour or so away from the finish. You knew exactly where the finish line was. Nobody knows how long they're going to live, you know, and especially these days as life expectancy continues to increase. Um, you know, people, if somebody retires at the proverbial 65, you know, retirement age, People, you, you may live 20, 25, 30 years in retirement. Um, I mean, people spend almost as much money, or I'm sorry, almost as much time in retirement as they spend during their productive years. It's that uncertainty where it causes a lot of anxiety. You don't know where the end line is. You don't know where how much you have to budget for, how much time. And, and that's a big anxiety for a lot of people. Exactly. And uh, before we move off of the mountain metaphor, I want to talk a little bit about Mount Everest. Um, in preparation for this, uh, I did a little bit of research on it. I don't know how much uh, how much of the history of Mount Everest you you know. Um, uh, Edmund Hillary is uh, and his uh, his companion uh, Nor- uh, Tenzing Norgay uh, were uh, are credited as being the first to summit Mount Everest. Um, that was in 1953. Uh, in, in reality, they may not have been the first, um, uh, George Mallory, 
and I don't re- recall his uh, his companion's name, uh, but they they may have been the first to do it uh, almost 30 years earlier in 1924. They were seen a couple hundred yards from the summit. Um, uh, there were there were a number of other situations, um, a photograph and, and things like that, uh, that uh, when they ended up finding George Mallory's body later, that indicated that maybe they actually did reach the summit. But but they we don't know. Uh, and we don't know because they didn't make it back down the mountain. And there's there was a lot of a lot of controversy regarding it. And before Edmund Hillary died, uh, a reporter asked him whether whether he thought George Mallory had made it. And his response was, I don't know whether Mallory reached the summit. What I do know is that Tenzing Norgay and I were the first to go to the top and back down to the bottom again. And that's kind of the key here. We need to we want to get to the top. We want to, we want to hit that retirement. Uh, but we got to have enough, uh, to, to make it back down to the bottom again. We have to be able to, to get to the bottom or else, you know, what good is actually summiting if, if you can't, can't make it back down. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about, uh, about this concept. This, this concept that we're talking about is, is called wealth building cornerstones. Uh, give me, a brief description of wealth building corners. Sure. Perfect. I would say it's, it's the ultimate, uh, game plan for getting back down the mountain safely, right. Where, and you know, I'm not sure if I should go into this here or not, but this, this is something that's been on my mind a little bit. One of the things that motivated me to make the change, uh, well, even before that, one of the things that, that really got me interested in this concept was when I was practicing law and you know working for a law firm, et cetera, um, I can remember vividly 2007, 2008, right? Sure. Where, um, I mean, there were attorneys that I practiced with, there were, you know, uh, assistants and, and paralegals and, and, and uh, other just non-attorney employees who were having to put off retirement because of what was happening in the market. And I started to notice that, that their ability to retire, their ability to say that they reached, quote unquote, the summit was being put off, that it's like all of a sudden, you know, George Mallory's 100 yards from the summit and he wakes up the next morning and lo and behold, he's actually a few miles from the summit exactly. now. Yeah. He's got to keep going and, and covering distance that he had already, he'd already covered uh, uh, before. And and I started to look around and and think to myself, man, there's got to be some, there's got to be a better way. And I saw the stress, I saw the anxiety um, of plans having to be altered and, and lives having to be changed because of these external forces. So I would say in terms of, you know, what is wealth building cornerstones? Wealth building cornerstones, I would say strives to implement certainty, guarantees, predictability, where otherwise absent wealth building cornerstones, there's much less of that. There's much less of the ability to define how you want your retirement to look, and you're much more exposed to those external forces. But we've all heard about the 4% rule. Isn't that a guarantee? <laughs> that's a great question. I love that. You know, I, Softball I, question. I, no, that's good. Um, 
You know, it's interesting. So the four percent rule. I think we're, we've re- recently celebrated the anniversary yeah. of the four percent rule. I, I want to say twenty, 20 years, years. Yeah, uh, is when uh, is when the four percent rule kind of came into being. And and if you haven't heard of the four percent rule, if that's something that doesn't sound familiar to you, basically what it says is, and I'll even take a step back from there. Um, you know, it used to be for this summoning the mountain analogy, right? This retirement, most people worked for a large employer of some kind, um, you know, let's say 30, 40 years ago. And those who did received a pension at retirement, right? Where yeah. it's kind of like maybe you summit the mountain and there's a gondola up at the top or a ski lift or something at the top. And all you got to do is hop on and you just get to cruise your way down and enjoy the scenery. At, at the top of Mount Olympus, we were wishing for a zip line like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> but, <laughs> so. but they do, right? They, that's kind of how it used to be before where it doesn't matter how long the distance is. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, those uncertainties don't exist to that degree because you've got that pension that's going to pay you out the rest of your life. Or often if, you know, the breadwinner of the family, the one who had the pension, there were typically survivorship provisions there that if, if he or she passed away, the surviving spouse would continue to receive maybe a percentage of that same pension. Yeah. And so that income question, that big question mark, um, didn't exist, but in the early 19, well, in the late seventies, early eighties, um, with the baby boomer generation and kind of the writing on the wall, employers started to see this big sort of bubble of employees coming down the pike and starting to say to themselves, wow, this is going to be really expensive for us here pretty soon. If we're having to fund policy or fund pensions on each of these retirees, there's got to be some way that we can defer this cost and the responsibility to save towards retirement onto the employees themselves. And that gave birth or gave rise to the 401k. And the government was happy to jump into that. Oh, Um, no question. The the government, the government makes a lot of money off of deferred or deferred uh, taxation plans. Um, You know, it's, it's something that they were more than happy to help implement and, and help sell. Yeah, seeing an opportunity to say, hey, no, no, you know, you can take pre-tax dollars and dump them into this vehicle, the rules of which we control. And and then on the back end, you know, we'll allow it to grow and, and all of that tax-free or tax-deferred. And then on the back end, when you start to hit retirement and you start to take those uh, distributions, whether required minimum distributions or you start to take retirement income, that's when we'll, that's when we'll take uh Taxes. That's when sure. we'll, we'll tax those those gains, and and not only the gains, but what you've put in as well. So, how does that tie into the four percent rule? So, four percent rule is is this. So, you know, to go back to where I, where I was starting in the beginning, with a pension, you don't have to worry about it because your income is is provided. Once once that shift occurred, and people started to have to assume responsibility for their own retirement savings, and we're saving into a four hundred one k with the idea that we're gonna distribute it to ourselves during the course of our retirement. So it's the idea that we're, you know, now we're, we've hit the summit of the mountain and we look and we see how much we've been able to accumulate during the course of our working years, but not knowing how long the journey is to get back down, there has to be a, uh, maybe a game plan, a strategy for knowing how much you can take from that pool of resources that you've accumulated so that you have some level of certainty that you're not going to run out of that money. So the 4% rule is, you know, is, is kind of the 
really for lack of a better term, the estimate of Mm -hmm. the percentage of an asset base that a person could take per year as a distribution for income during retirement and have some reasonable level of certainty that they're not going to run out of money. And they ran, you know, simulation after simulation to kind of test this theory, running, you know, different investment, uh, you know, strategies, you know, heavy on stocks, thin on stocks, heavy on bonds and everywhere in between to kind of come up with this rule of thumb to be able to give people some advice and some guidance as to how much income they can take during retirement. And the 4% rule was it. So uh, to put some numbers to it, essentially, if if you have an asset base at retirement of a million dollars, the 4% rule says you can take $40,000 of income uh, based on that. Uh, and, and that should last you a reasonable uh, period of time. Now, all these simulations come to the conclusion that there's a there's a close to close to 100% chance 100% chance that you will still have some money at the end of 20 years right um so if you retire at 65 when you're 85 you will still have some money what does that mean by yeah, some, money? some money could mean a dollar so ten dollars yeah you could have 20 bucks in your account congratulations you were part of this you know 98% of people who uh, were able to make it down the mountain, you know, uh, and, and following the 4% rule, you, you know, this person passed away with 20 bucks. They, they don't have an inheritance to pass on to their family members, or if they have a surviving spouse, there are some issues there, but 20 bucks, you made it. But that's $20 at 85. (laughs) Yeah. Right. What happens when you're 95? Yeah. Then (laughs) if you're still alive at 20, you're 20, uh, and, and, and you live another 10 years and you exhausted your money in, in that 20 year time frame, you've got some issues either. Yeah. You're going to have to back down your standard of living. You know, hopefully you've got social security there's some, you know, that may or may not be sure. there for those of us who are looking at retirement in the next, you know, several decades. But, uh, yeah, you're going to be, hopefully you have a family member who's kind enough to take you in and let you live there and maybe cook and clean for, for some, uh, uh, room and board. Um, well, but you know, and this isn't to say just to, just to clarify, this isn't to say that at 20 years, you're essentially going to run out of money. Uh, it, it's just to say that you don't know. Um, you could have your your assets could have grown in that period of time if you invested really well, but you could run out of money. And that's the big that's the big key. It's it's the uncertainty. Mm-hmm. It's it's the fact that you you don't know. And and most you know the the analogy I think of is I think at at year at twenty five years in retirement I want to say that it was about a ninety two or so percent chance that, that you'd hit, you'd be able to make it 25 years at uh, the 4%. consistent with the 4% mm-hmm. rule. And then for 30 years, it was about 87, 88%. Well, the analogy I think of is this, if, if I boarded an airplane and, you know, as you're fastening your seatbelt and they're telling you to get your seatbelts on and up in, and your seats in the upright position and you're, you know, you're making your takeoff. And, and as you're reaching that cruising altitude, the client or the, uh, the captain comes on the, the, the PA as they usually do welcome aboard, ladies and gentlemen. Um, it looks like we've got pretty clear skies and we've got about an 88% chance of reaching our destination and being able to land the plane safely mm-hmm. and, and not crashing the plane. Like, can you imagine people looking around saying, are you, 
are you serious? How happy are you to be on chance? that plane? Get me out of here, <laughs> yeah. you know? Uh, but that's kind of the risk, you know, not in a literal way, but in a financial way, that's the risk that that people are undertaking. You just don't know. And an 80%, 88% chance of success, that's not high enough for me. That's no. not high enough for me to want to get on an airplane. That's not high enough for me to want to basically turn the keys of my retirement over and say, I've got this made. Sure. Now there's going to be some risk in everything, um, sure. but, uh, but minimize the risk as much as you possibly can. And that's what wealth building cornerstones is all about. Um, so, so let's talk a little bit about the new, new rule, I guess the new percentage rule. What uh, has there been any revision regarding the 4% rule? There has and, you know, the, there, ha nothing definitive has come out saying the 4% rule is not realistic and therefore it's now it's the 3% rule that hasn't changed. However, because of, and, and most people I would assume who are listening to our podcast aren't oblivious to thing, you know, things like quantitative easing. Mm -hmm. And and they're not oblivious to the fact that, man, interest rates have been really, really low for quite a while now. I mean, if it's been a great time to buy a car, it's been yeah. a great time to buy a house, it's been a terrible time to save or to keep your money in a savings account. Um, all of that has to do with the government's monetary policy. Money's cheap. And money can't be as cheap as it's been for as long as it's been without some impact on those traditionally conservative types of investments. Mm -hmm. And so what that the, the ripple effect there is that now rumblings are that the 4% rule is too aggressive. Sure. In other words, I mean, we could be, you know, if somebody's retiring right now, let's say, and they're following kind of the conventional wisdom, which is the 4% rule. They could be five, 10 years into retirement and all of a sudden now, oh, by the way, you thought you were going to have 40000 a year on your million dollar asset base. You better revise that down to 30000 a year. Yeah. So cut some things out. No more direct TV for you. In, in uh, going back to the mountain analogy, it was like my wife and I drinking too much water uh, on, the, yeah. on the beginning of our descent. Good example. So we ran out of water uh, uh, later on. Uh, we, or we had to ration it and then we eventually even ran out of water after we were rationing it. Um, well, we're going to talk a little bit more about him here in a little bit, but there's a, there's a, uh, uh, uh I guess a doctor, a, not a, a medical doctor, but a, uh, PhD. PhD. That's <laughs> the term I was looking for. Wade Fowl. Um, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about an article that, that he wrote and, uh, give you guys the name of that and, and, uh, recommend you search it and, and read it and read through it. But, um, he has actually come out with a number uh, that the four percent rule should actually be, and I believe it is a the two point eight percent rule, so less than three percent. Wow. Um, Huge difference. Uh, yeah, that's that's more than twenty five percent less uh, income that you can take uh, because of those low interest rates. We've had low interest rates for so long that uh, it has it has. Imp seriously impacted the amount of income you can make. Hey, can you imagine that? I mean, all of a sudden, some new study coming out and or somebody coming to you and saying, you're going to have to reduce your expenses by 25% yeah. because your income is going to go down by 25%. Exactly. That would, I mean, that creates significant issues for a lot of people where, I mean, most people who I know who are retired, 
my mom and dad being two primary examples, they're living on a fairly specific, well, I, I wouldn't say fairly, I'd say very specific, very detailed, very strict budget that kind of dictates what they can do and when they can do it. And if all of a sudden they've got 25 less, 25% less than they had had uh, before, that would create a huge stress for a lot of people. I mean, from from a strict numbers standpoint, you know, we we hear a lot. A lot of people's number for that they're saving up for for retirement is that million dollars. Mm-hmm. That's kind of been uh, the go to number for years and years. Um, and now, if we're going with the four percent rule, you saved up a million dollars. That only allows you forty thousand dollars of income. But if we're going with Dr. Fow's uh, number, two point eight percent, that means you're instead of forty thousand, you're only getting twenty eight thousand dollars of income uh, per year, uh, and that doesn't guarantee income for the rest of your life. And for a lot, just to jump in here real quick, for for a lot of people, that's an important distinction to make because you know. I, I grew up thinking that a million dollars is a lot of money. You know, you hear about professional athletes and contracts and, and that sort of thing. A million dollars sounds like a lot of money, but I, and I think for a lot of people, whatever they have saved seems like a lot of money because they've spent their entire career saving it. Yeah. But then when you shift that and say, here's what your savings means to you, from an income standpoint, because that's what it's all about. You're taking that asset base and now you're shifting to an income approach and million dollars. Yeah. That sounds like a lot of money, $28,000 a year for the rest of my life. And hopefully that lasts, that does not sound like a lot of money. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, you're still taking a lot of risk. Yeah. Should we, should we have another 2008, uh, or a 2000, 2001, 2002, uh, that million dollar asset can disappear. Oh, or if you've got the un, unanticipated expenses, yeah, medical expenses, those types of things, every bit that you dip into that million dollars, you're reducing the size. I mean, it's kind of like, uh, you know, in Utah, we've had, we're having drought issues, not as significant as they're having in California, but we get our water from reservoirs, sure, right? And every year that we have a, a, a less than average uh, snowfall and 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 those reservoirs are continue to re- continually reduced in size. That impacts the our ability to to use the water for irrigation or boating and those types of things. Same idea with your asset base. If you're dipping into it, you're impacting your ability to take income at that same level for uh, as long a period of time. Sure, exactly. Hurting your retirement prospects. Now, uh, before before this, I ran some numbers um, uh, and we're, we're going to talk, well, I ran some numbers based on the, the volatility and sequence of returns. Uh, Dr. Fow talks about this in, uh, in the article that, that we're going to uh, mention here in a minute. Um, but really what that means is having down years is going to happen but when those down years happen uh significantly impacts things and say you were retiring um in 2000 you'd saved up a million dollars uh you were retiring in 2000 uh in from 2000 to through 2001 uh so sorry 2000 through 2002 Uh, at the end of that period of time if you had been following the four percent rule uh, so you'd been you took forty thousand out each of those years, um, with the downturn in the market, you would have been left with about five hundred and forty thousand dollars. Wow! 
After only three years of retirement, your million dollars has been essentially cut in half. Wow. Um, so the sequence of returns, the ri- risk that we take, uh, it has it has a lot to do with how uh, how profitable and how beneficial our retirement will be for us. Um, so I've mentioned it a couple times. Um, the the article, Doctor Fowl wrote an article recently uh, for One America. Um, uh, One America funded the the research for it, and he he wrote this uh, this white paper. I guess is uh, the term that they're using for it. It's called. Uh, Optimizing retirement income by combining actuarial science and investments. Um, and I just want to read a couple of uh, short little quotes from it. Um, uh, from the abstract, there remains a rift in the financial services profession about the best approach for building a retirement income plan. Some advisors prefer to pursue the risk reward possibilities of an, e- uh, of an equity portfolio and others prefer the contractual guarantees of insurance products. However, for retirement income, one must step away from the notion that either investments or insurance alone will best serve retirees. Uh, and then uh, just to close that out, he says, the results uh, demonstrate that a higher income level and greater legacy are potentially achieved when investments, single life annuities, and whole life insurance are combined uh, are combined than when applying investment-only solutions. What, what on earth is he talking about there? <laughs> so... Just to maybe circle back to our uh, our our climb up the mountain, right? As we're beginning the, you know, now that now that you and and your wife have had the experience of of climbing the mountain, there are probably some things that you'd do differently, right? You Definitely. you would have packed more water. You would have done done a few things differently. What what this is giving us the ability to do is to have some foresight into what the what the journey can be like for us. Right. And so what he's telling us is he's telling us, hey, there are certain things that you should put in your backpack that are going to make a huge difference in your ability to come back down the mountain on the other side. And and he's basically saying that it doesn't it's not a one or the other type of approach, meaning equities, you know, 401ks, retirement funds with mutual funds and, and those types of things versus a purely insurance-based or actuarial uh, science-based approach. He's saying that in reality, the ideal retirement scenario involves a few different pieces, a few different pieces pieces of the puzzle, which are kind of the essence of wealth building cornerstones. And he mentions one in particular that is is one that probably most people aren't as familiar familiar with, and it's a single life annuity. Okay, but hold on just a second. Um, oh, sorry. Did I? No, no. We we here we primarily sell life insurance. I thought yeah. that was the silver bullet that fixes everything, doesn't it? Well, in all honesty, no. Depending on what the objective is, um, you know. For for instance, uh, you know, and I, you've probably met and had you have clients who you've walked through these issues with, and uh, the the difficulty oftentimes for for people is the shift in approach from saving growing assets increasing the size of that asset base shifting that to income mm-hmm. and income production it's the idea that oh no but i have a million dollars well your million dollars is only going to get you you know if 4% rule $40,000 a year of income. And so then the focus and the energy has to be spent on continually growing that million and doing the best that you can with it to make it last. 
what Dr. Fow is saying is there are income producing or income creating assets, you know, the, these assets uh, whose job is to purely and simply create income. That's a single life annuity, a SPIA, right? Okay. Where if that's our objective, we solve the income piece through that SPIA, through that single life annuity. That doesn't mean that the policy, that the life insurance policy doesn't also play a critical role, but it's not, its primary function is not to produce income. Sure. So, and obviously my, my question was facetious, but um, <laughs> I, I do know it is, there is no silver bullet. Uh, what we're really trying to do here is set you up in a system. Uh, it's all about the system. Um, I think Justin, uh, when he was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago uh, with Jenny, uh, he brought up the uh, the uh, the idea of of a golfer. Uh, you know, we've been golfing a few times recently. Um, Who's won those? Uh, rounds, I don't want to talk about that. Oh, yeah. um, uh, <laughs> so if if you were if you were golfing, if you were starting out golfing, um, even at his current playing level, would you rather have Tiger Woods uh, golf clubs or would you rather have his abilities? Um, yeah, you know, his system. Yeah. His abilities, obviously. Yeah. And that's, that's what this, that's what we're, what we do here. We're not saying that uh, insurance is going to be the, the be all end all. It's definitely not. Um, it is, it is going to require other, other, uh, uh, parts to it. And that's what Dr. Fowl's article is about is, you know, you got to, you got to take parts from various, various places and you got to put them into this system. Um, insurance is an integral part of that. And so you mentioned that with this, with, with this annuity, how does, how does insurance, and, and we're talking about a single life annuity. Well, what if we're a married couple? Tell, well, first of all, tell us how annuities work a little bit. Good, good, good example. And just to kind of, you know, the ideas that you're creating, the, the, when I think of a system, I, I like sports as you do. And, and I think of like a team based approach where you've got different members of a team who serve different functions, but your team couldn't, is not going to be as effective or efficient. If, for instance, if you've got a basketball team and you have five point guards, you're not going to win many games, yeah. right? The, the, you know, by the same token, if you've got five centers, even if they're all, you know, Kevin Durant or, uh, or, you know, uh, the equivalent still you're, you're probably, you're going to have some issues, right? So you've got to have pieces of the puzzle who complement uh, one another. And, um, now just to answer your question directly, um, what we're dealing with is in Dr. Fow uses the term actuarial science, right? That's probably a term again, that most people aren't going to be familiar with. And so when we talk about a SPIA, for instance, or, and that's an acronym, a single premium immediate annuity, he refers to it as a single life annuity. That's an annuity that is based purely and simply upon actuarial science. In other words, you know, there's lots of different annuities out there. And frankly, you know, this is probably a topic for another day, but we don't tend to have a favorable opinion of almost every single type of annuity that's out there because it tries to do something other than just produce income. Uh, the, the annuity's primary purpose is to produce income. And when you try to have it grow or expose it to market upside and, and force somebody to defer that income for a certain number of years before the income will start to pay out, when you, whenever you try and complicate it in that way, you make it less effective than it could otherwise be. So if you have a single life 
annuity based on actuarial science. There is no market connection. In other words, it's based purely upon the age of the individual. And, and by age, what the insurance company is looking at is that person's life expectancy. Yeah. They're going to look at that person's life expectancy, which is, you know, their age and relationship to their, uh, their gender. Um, and that will determine what's called a distribution rate. So you take a, a pool of money, you take a chunk of money, you plop it into a SPIA and it immediately starts to pay out a stream of income at a certain distribution rate. That again is a function of a person's age and, and how, and gender. Okay, now uh, we're uh, we're not terribly short on time, but we're going to want to start heading towards wrapping up. So let me let me just talk a little bit about the the next uh, part of that. And you already mentioned the fact that there's a life insurance policy associated with it. That's you know part of what we what we do here. Um, so that that annuity is based on one person's life. When that person dies, uh, the annuity stops. the The income from that stops. Um, so uh, so. Having life insurance is an integral part of this system because you have the death benefit on that person that can then be used to replace the income uh, for the for the, the surviving spouse. Um, uh, so, you know, that's that's really uh, that, that's what we call the covered asset approach uh, to wealth building cornerstones. Um, and meaning by that is we're going to trade an asset. Um, so some some amount of money, we're going to trade that asset for an income stream uh, through the annuity. And maybe just to jump in there too, to maybe connect this back to the 4% rule. If we've got somebody with that million dollar asset base, according to the 4% rule, the best they can do is $40,000 a year of income. And what portion of that million dollars has to be untouched and has to sit there and and be devoted to that income stream? Every dime of it, yeah. right? Because if we reduce that million down to say five hundred thousand, because we've spent it or or what have you, now consistent with the four percent rule, now we can only take twenty thousand of yeah. income, right? We've just shrunk the size of our asset. So we have to devote every dime of the million to that income production. Whereas if we take this covered asset approach, a spia, for instance, on on somebody, let's say they're you know sixty five to seventy. Typically, the distribution rate on a SPIA, let's use a male as an example, you're probably between, you know, six and eight, nine percent distribution. We'll, we'll be conservative and say six percent. Sure. Now, all of a sudden, if 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 we take that uh, that asset base, we've got the ability to create the same amount of income, but using a smaller portion of our million dollars, leaving more money for those other, those unexpected expenses like uh, healthcare, um, you know, going on, going on vacations is actually enjoying your, your retirement. Uh, you know, if you can, if you can guarantee a stream of income that you know is going to cover all of your fixed expenses for less money, um, then it, it just frees up more more of your assets to be used in in uh, in the ways that you want to enjoy your retirement. Right, and then giving us to the ability to create the death benefit that will, you know, at at that person's passing, the income stream goes away, but the death benefit pays out that replaces that pool of cash that we use to fund the SPIA. So the surviving spouse with this new windfall of cash, the death benefit that comes to them they can now replace that stream of income for themselves for the rest of their life. Sure. And in you know I and I've seen in in the plans that I've built for clients 
you know, let's say that, that, that the individual lives another 10 or 15 years. Well, the surviving spouse is now 10 or 15 years older as well. And maybe for them, the distribution rate at that point at say 75, 80 uh, years old, maybe the distribu di distribution rates 10% or 12%. So that's that much less that you have uh, to pool use of capital. It. Yeah. That you need to create the stream of income or maybe consistent with inflation or what have you, you can give yourself a bit of a raise yeah. and give yourself more income to, to continue to enjoy uh, that stream of income for the rest of your life. Yeah. Now, uh, the covered asset approach, um, you know, using an annuity and, and uh, a death benefit in association with that, that's really, uh, that's, that's an approach that, it, that appeals to a lot of our clients. A lot of our clients are, are fairly risk averse. They're, they're not big fans of the stock market in these, uh, in these days. Um, but what about uh, what about it? Uh, I'm I'm a high risk uh, taker. I really like I really like the risk. I love trying to capitalize on the on the uh, big big gains in the stock market. What what can I do? I don't want to give up all my assets. What can I do uh, with wealth building cornerstones? Well, I mean that's you know a lot of people come to us um, because of infinite banking, right? Mm -hmm. The ability to fund a life insurance policy that has cash value, that grows. Um, the policy that we typically build for clients is still a cash value building policy. So I can think of two, uh, maybe two answers to your question. Number one would be, you've still got liquidity. You've still got access to the cash value in that policy where if you're a real estate investor, for instance, and you want to leverage, you know, you want to leverage that cash to give yourself the ability to, to create some additional passive income to buy uh, real estate. Or if, uh, you know, a lot of our uh, clients come to us from uh, the Palm Beach letter, Palm Beach has a number of investment strategies, you know, one being uh, legacy stocks yeah. where they kind of talk about a, a stock portfolio uh, of, you know, certain types of stocks, you know, obviously you, those of you who are subscribers to Palm Beach are probably familiar with it, but you could use cash value for something like that as well. Or, Again, if we've got the ability to create the stream of income using a smaller pool of capital, whatever we aren't having to dump into the to, to this or dedicate to wealth building cornerstones, whatever we've got left over, now you've got kind of the peace of mind to know that you can play with that a little bit. You know, you don't have to dedicate every dime to income production because now you're being more efficient with the resources that you have. You've got a permission slip to to kind of play with that money yep. and and do with it whatever whatever you want. Now, um, you know, so there's the covered asset approach. Uh, there's also the uh, the volatility buffer, um, which which can be used to to offset some of those uh, the the volatility that is used uh, that that is experienced in the market. You know, uh, for from that uh, previous example of you know 2000 through 2002, uh, if you retired at at um, uh, with a million dollars of assets, if you were able to utilize the volatility buffer. Uh, in a in a uh, wealth building cornerstones approach, um, you wouldn't need to. And we'll, you know, if you if you need more information on this, please contact us. But uh, just for uh, because we are running low on time, uh, you wouldn't need to take you you wouldn't need to draw income from your assets. So that five hundred and forty thousand dollars that would be left over, it would be six twenty five. So still not great, but a whole lot better than than if you had drawn uh, income from it. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there's, 
really it, it all comes down to having the system in place to allow you the most options, the most, uh, the most ability to choose how you want your retirement to go. Um, uh, you know, and, and any, I guess any final, final thoughts as we wrap up? Yeah. I, I mean, I, this has been a, this has been a good discussion and, and, and the thing, and, and this is typically the, the advice that I give, uh, to clients, either existing or potential clients, you know, if you're on the doorstep of retirement, you know, all of the pieces of this puzzle may be implemented at the same time, right? Sure. Where if you're coming to us and you're 65 and you're planning to retire in the next couple of years and, and we want to structure something that gives you the ability to retire when you want to retire and to guarantee your income for the rest of your life, we may, it may be approach an approach where we implement multiple pieces of the policy at the same time. Mm -hmm. If you're in a, in a, a position where like you and me, we've still got plenty of time left to, uh, during our productive years to work. So then it's it's important to meet with your advisor and to have a long-term strategy laid out. So for instance, you and I, the time is now to fund our policies yeah. and to get our policies in place and to utilize policies, uh, you know, banking and 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 utilizing those to create other uh, streams of income, et cetera. We won't we won't implement the SPI at this point. We don't have need for that income creation plus our, our distribution, yeah, distribution be is terrible <laughs> because we're we're still so young but you're still you're packing the backpack exactly you know what the hike is going to entail and you know what pieces you need to store in the backpack so that down the road 10 15 20 years whatever it is for retirement you're prepared you've got the 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 resources to get yourself back down the mountain safely so there there's not a scenario where there isn't something to do now yeah. there's there's preparation to be made right now there's always something you can do to be to making to be making progress toward that no question um now uh real quick i do want to reiterate the um the title of that white paper and it was optimizing retirement income by combining actuarial science and investments by Dr. Wade Fow. And his last name is spelled P F A U. Uh, when I Googled it, it was the second, um, the second result. Uh, I, I Googled optimizing retirement income and it was the second result, uh, just as a PDF. And I think, sorry to jump yeah. in here real quick. I think, uh, Forbes actually picked up, uh, an article or just it, it, it kind of a, an abbreviated version, a kind of a summary by Dr. Fow of this article as well that sure. I yeah. read, that I read that was actually a very nice summary that had a link to that PDF. So if you're looking for kind of to dip your toe into what it is that he's saying, that might be a good place that's, to start. That's to. probably the better approach. Uh, this is a 26 page article <laughs> um, and it's, it's pretty deep. Um, uh, very academic. It, it, it is very academic. It's very informative and, mm -hmm. and very well written. Um, but it is it is fairly deep. Um, now we've we've glanced the surface of um, of wealth building cornerstones. Uh, one of the one of the systems that we we put in force for a lot, a lot of clients. Um, there's a lot more information out there. Um, a lot more information that's specific to your individual case. Um, please reach out to us. Uh, go to uh, paradigmlife.net. Uh, that's p a r a d i g m life.net. Um, and sign up for a free infinite one-on-one account. Uh, there's a lot of free, uh, information there. Um, and, uh, and, uh, you know, we'd be happy to set up a consultation with you, uh, you know, 
personalize a, a plan for you, see what would need to be implemented at what points. And, and we'd love to be part of your financial team as you, as you approach, approach retirement. And the resources page is a great one too. Yes. Um, just kind of up about midway uh, at the top uh, of the screen when you go to our website, click on the resources page. There's articles, there are videos, all kinds of information there as well. We do regular webinars that you'll have access to. Um, you know, we, we have a lot of education online. Um, uh, we, that's, that's really what we believe in. Educate yourself so that you can make those informed decisions. Um, well, Will, thanks for, thanks for joining me today. Uh, I've had a lot of, I've had a good time here, uh, and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, uh, quite as law intense as our last, yeah, uh, last attempt. Of, lighter topic, yeah. a lot more fun, but yeah, I appreciate yeah. it. It's, this is a, this is a fun topic to talk about and very, very relevant. Okay. Thanks for joining us. Uh, and, uh, we look forward to speaking with you. You've been listening to the Wealth Standard Radio Show, your gold standard in everything financial with your host, Patrick Donahoe. 